interpretive phenomenological analysis of paediatric cardiology training experiences during COVID-19 by Dr. Sadia Khayyam and Dr. Mohammed Ryan Abometi. Abstract. Context. Medical training during the COVID-19 pandemic has placed extraordinary demands on individuals within a context of rapid and iterative systems changes. The contemporaneous lived experience of trainees during this time has mainly been examined with surveys. Our study aims to provide a rich account of the experience of being a trainee during the pandemic to deepen our conceptual understanding of wellness. This holds relevance as we move away from examining the immediate innovations of the pandemic and towards long-term adjustments. Methods. We used interpretive phenomenological analysis to explore the experience of trainees in paediatric cardiology during the pandemic. Five trainees were purposefully recruited. Initial semi-structured interviews were held during the first wave of the pandemic with follow-up interviews held during the second wave. Results. Three superordinate paradoxical themes were recognised in the data. Connectedness and isolation. Disruption and stasis and vulnerability and strength. Discussion. Disruption to routine activities of service delivery, training and home life pervaded the pandemic and was experienced as stasis. Technology maintained the trainee's connection to the content of work but left them feeling isolated from its context. Vulnerability arose from the interplay between illness, uncertainty and perception of risk, contrasted against strength drawn from compassion and the discovery of resilience. Supporting trainees as we emerge from the initial phase of the pandemic requires us to review how we understand and address wellness, including the contribution of organisational and systemic factors to its protection. Participants described varying states of impaired wellness and experienced a normalisation of aspects of vulnerability. We theorised that trainees were able to find opportunities for growth and the development of resilience within the space that this created. Statements from the British Medical Association and Royal Colleges have alluded to the potential impact of such wide-ranging and abrupt changes to personal and professional circumstances on trainees. This includes the impact of, on wellness, a multi-dimensional construct comprising physical, social, emotional and spiritual elements, which interact with one another. Inquiry into this is mainly used online surveys. Findings have included trainee concern around preparedness for independent clinical practice, increased stress and anxiety, and feelings of alienation from decision-making. These have been associated with exposure to COVID-19 and organisational factors such as redeployment and the availability of personal protective equipment. More in-depth explorations have focused on psychological impact of working in critical care and or treating patients with COVID-19. A recent survey examining the impact of the pandemic on non-redeployed paediatric trainees highlighted a heterogeneity in responses. Rich explorations are required to illuminate our understanding as we move away from examining the immediate innovations of the pandemic and towards long-term adjustments. With the use of semi-structured interviews at two key pressure points, the first and second wave, we aim to provide a rich account of training experience. In doing so, we hope to deepen our understanding of wellness as a concept 
helping ground longer term adjustments in the lived experience of trainees. Section 1.1 Context Paediatric cardiology trainees in the United Kingdom complete at least five years of postgraduate training before entering the programme. There are 42 trainees across 12 centres. During the pandemic, trainees remained in the speciality. Elective activity was significantly reduced, but emergency interventions continued. Section 1.2 Methodology The qualitative study was conducted within an interpretive paradigm using phenomenology as the methodology. Phenomenology is the philosophical study of the human experience. The phenomenological method is often applied to things that are taken for granted and intends to re-examine them to uncover new meanings. Studies utilising this methodology aim to uncover the ways in which people experience and understand the phenomena in the world around them. This approach is consistent with the aim of our study and represents our epistemological stance. The research framework used was Interpretive Phenomenological Analysis, or IPA. IPA has three primary theoretical underpinnings. One, it is rooted in phenomenology. Two, it is explicitly ideographic in its commitment to examining the detailed experience of each case, in turn, before making more general claims. And three, it is interpretive. The researcher is trying to make sense of the participant trying to make sense of their experience. The framework informed our choice of data collection methods and our analysis. For studies utilising IPA, the more an experience matters to participants, the more likely they are to provide rich data. We judged the experience of medical training during the pandemic to be significantly meaningful to participants to justify the approach. Question 2. Methods 2.1 Recruitment All 42 trainees received an email invitation to participate. A purpose sample was recruited from participants to ensure a balance of gender, race, training grade and centre. IPA deliberately uses small groups of four to six participants, homogenous samples to gather detailed information. This is by contrast with descriptive phenomenology, where maximum variation sample is common. Information was provided regarding study and informed consent was obtained. Participants were assured that participation was voluntary and they could withdraw at any stage. Section 2.2, data collection. MA, a trainee peer, conducted all interviews. The schedule was repeated for initial interview one and follow-up interview two interviews and used open-ended questions in line with IPA. For example, how has your sense of well-being been during the pandemic? How have you experienced your training during the pandemic? What has been important for you? How have you experienced others? Participants were encouraged to explore aspects of their experience that were meaningful to them using follow-up questioning, reflecting the ideographic focus and phenomenological origins of IPA. Interview one took place in August 2020, two months after the first wave between April and June 2020, and interview two in February 2021 during the second wave, November 2020 and February 2021. ONS data were used to define these time frames. Interviews were digitally recorded, anonymised and transcribed verbatim. Participants were asked to reflect on their transcripts. Our intention was to gain further access to their meaning, making and reflect the interpretive focus of IPA.
However, little was added to the study in this process. The participants were content that transcripts reflected their accounts. Data analysis. MA and SQ conducted the initial data analysis separately. Each transcript was analysed fully before moving on to the next, reflecting the ideographic focus of IPA and the distinction from thematic analysis. Initial steps involve reading and rereading the transcripts. Following this, a descriptive account of the experience through the eyes of the participant was developed in terms of what mattered most to them. Next, experiential themes were recognised and each illustration extracted from the corpus. Once transcripts had been fully individually analysed, themes were integrated across the entire dataset. We prioritised an examination of convergence and divergence to illuminate the breadth and depth of each theme. Following this, we moved further towards interpretation, deepening our analysis by importing existing theories as a lens through which to view the analysis. These included the health belief model that focuses on individual cognitive processes such as self-efficacy and determinants of behaviour and social cognitive theory that emphasises the influence of social environment including role modelling, reinforcement and expectation on behaviour. An audit trail with clear documentation of each stage of the process was maintained for the duration of the study. This systematic approach ensured our recognition of themes could be traced from the participants' original accounts. A summary of themes and sub-themes was reviewed by non-participant trainees to support trustworthiness of our analysis. Section 3. Findings Five participants were recruited, representing four out of twelve training regions. Interview 1 was between 45 and 60 minutes, with interview 2 between 15 and 30 minutes. Three superordinate paradoxical themes were recognised in the data. Connectedness and isolation, disruption and stasis, and vulnerability and strength. Please refer to figure one. Section 3.1, isolation and connectedness. Technology. This paradox was manifest in the emergent role of technology. Trainees described remote contributions to a weekly multidisciplinary meeting the Joint Cardiac Conference, or JCC. The JCC is a central element of cardiac services aiming to establish clinical management strategies by consensus. Quote, The most obvious thing is the use of technology. JCCs over WebEx, where you have a radiologist share their screen and go through the MRI. You feel right there, not at the back of the room, not being quite able to see. Trainees were connected to their work by technology, but isolated from the people delivering the training and experiencing it with them. Quote, the consultants are doing the JCC summaries. With it being virtual, it hasn't gone back to it being us. There isn't that element of let's sit down and discuss a case and then the registrar will present it. End of quote. Interview two. Remote teaching had a similar impact. Connectivity and access to content improved, but trainees were isolated from other learners and teachers. Participants diverged in their experience of which consequence dominated. Quote, Sometimes you're at work and it's on in the office so you can dip in and out. Usually you'd had to take a whole study day leave because it's in the US or somewhere. End of quote. Interview two. Even just eyeballing people because people don't turn their videos on 
it's nice to know who that person is and where they work. It's good to have that connection and you don't get that online at all. Trainees prioritise educational content for conferences, whereas social connections seem to the primary function of national training days. The implication is that interaction with technology is individualised and context dependent. There is not one experience. Subsection Social Contact The predominant part of the trainee's workload, however, was not amendable to remote delivery. In their descriptions of face-to-face work, sub-themes of affinity, care, camaraderie were recognised. Quote, COVID is a stressful, uncertain time, so the last few months have been a good review of how well your unit works together. You've got to remember some of the consultants who are in the high-risk group older people who have had more comorbidities and risk factors and they are coming in. You worry about them. End of quote. Interview one. The pandemic served to decentralise individualist pursuits, establishing social connection through collective endeavour. We saw evidence of in-group congruence as shared ideas such as kindness and compassion for self and others were upheld, leading to enhanced cohesion reinforced through engendering a common purpose. Quote, I do think when things get better and when you get your first staff night out, people will look back and think, we actually got through that pretty well together. End of quote, interview one. Quote, people when they sit down and talk to each other, they tend to be a bit kinder at the moment. End of quote, interview one. Quote, this has been a time when people will say, are you okay? When I came back to work and lots of people were asking, how are you doing? I felt very supported. It created that environment where you feel like people care about you as an individual. End of quote. Interview one. Sub-theme, organisational factors. Attention arose between this connectedness with colleagues and isolation from decision-making around organisational work, including outpatient activity, shifts towards consultant-delivered care, and rotor changes. The perceived isolation from decision-making may also have represented a decline in trainee self-efficacy. We saw evidence of progression of this during interview two, as participants appeared fatigued by the systems around them. The shift in tone is illustrated by the quotes below. Quote, I do the rotor, but I was finding things out like clinics were changing and I hadn't rostered anyone for this new way of working. It's just... I don't think it was anyone's fault, just things were changing so quickly. End of quote, interview one. Quote, the hospital was quite militant. You can only have your first vaccination if you're guaranteeing you'll have your second. Then we were told, you're not getting a second one, perhaps maybe ever. It changes every day. End of quote, interview two. Section 3.2, disruption and stasis. Sub-theme, organisational factors. The delivery of care and training underwent rapid iterative changes. In the cessation of elective activity during the first wave brought the elective backlog and accompanying patient safety risk into sharp focus during the second. A steady stream of new rules, systems and processes emerged to address both challenges. Quote, it has been frustrating in terms of cancellations and the new rules. There were a lot of last minute changes and patients not able to come in every day, especially when it turned cold. Everything was being cancelled. End of quote. Interview two. Quote, somebody was turned away from transplant clinic because the parents complained and said, my child is only allowed one parent with them. So why are there extra people in the room? End of quote. Interview two. 
The emphasis on service over training led to trainees perceiving stasis in their learning and development. Interview 2 featured a greater number of descriptions of stagnation across all participants. The absence of novelty from day-to-day routine, both at home and at work, was experienced variably as apathy, boredom and loss of motivation. Quote, it became a static period. Just do the job and cover the gaps and fill the rotor. Nothing good, nothing bad, just a static period. End of quote. Interview 1. Quote, it's just incessant. I'm sick of it. It keeps going on. And just when you think, oh, the vaccine's coming, the second wave and third wave just comes. And it seems worse than everything. End of quote. Interview 2. Vulnerability and strength. Subsection, wellness. Three participants became unwell with COVID-19. However, vulnerability extended beyond physical health to a sense of impaired wellness. Quote, both me and my partner had coronavirus and were knocked out. I come home from work and I'm just shattered. No motivation for anything. End of quote. Interview one. Quote. Having to get the tube and wearing a face mask was a bit creepy. Also, when the streets were deserted, there were a few unsavoury characters roaming the streets around the hospital. End of quote. Interview one. Quote. Some people have broken down completely. It's pretty scary, right? I've read about how nurses have been sent to adult hospitals. You see their Facebook profiles and then people dying, it's quite depressing. And if you focus too much on it, you really get depressed about it. End of quote, interview two. Vulnerability also presented in concerns for others and for the future. This increased in interview two, illustrated in contrasting comments from participant one. Quote, I mean, obviously the biggest thing you think about as healthcare workers, as doctors, is not your training, but the fact that this illness has affected so many people. I generally don't have any negative thoughts about the future that are about me. End of quote. Interview one. Quote, it makes you think the future and where you end up. If you never move back to somewhere with any support, how will you cope with these stressful situations? My gran is 93. She's a very good 93. If we go to Australia and I don't see her before I go, well, Will we definitely see these people again? End of quote. Interview two. Subtheme: Resilience. During interview two, all respondents described adaptation or having bounced back somehow. Quote. It totally changed my physical, physical health for the worse. Exercising less, eating terribly. That's not like me. Then over Christmas and New Year, I was like, what am I doing? I started to make a more conscious effort. End of quote. Interview two. Quote, so when I spoke to you last, I had this sort of apathy, a loss of motivation. I couldn't be bothered to do anything, but that's not the same anymore. I've got more motivation, more energy. I've submitted free abstracts. End of quote. Interview two. Expressions of strength were not ostentatious or bold, but understated. Trainees compared their situation favorably with others and they identified personal attributes that helped them cope. Quote. I mean, I'm quite a resilient person. I know things will eventually get back to normal, so I'm quite happy to keep going. But it's easier for me as I'm able to work. I actually think that as NHS workers, it's a positive thing. End of quote. Interview two. Mitigations to the trainee annual review of competence, ARCP, seem to normalise elements of vulnerability in the COVID-19 context. 
trainees saw themselves as one of the effective rather than individuals who had failed. Quote, the first time round, there were some things I wasn't able to achieve. I was one of the people that got an outcome temp, which was a COVID outcome. I had a few things I needed to finish, which I have now been able to do. End of quote. Interview two. Quote, since we spoke, I've had time out. I had COVID. I had an ARCP outcome 10, accounting for the time I'd had off. I think that's worked well. End of quote. Interview two. Section 3.4. Summary. We've drawn out superordinate paradoxical themes of connectedness and isolation, disruption and stasis, and vulnerability and strength. We recognise sub-themes of technology, social contact, care, affinity, camaraderie, service, compassion and resilience. Follow-up interviews were notable for descriptions of adaptation and self-identified resilience, despite increasing concern for the future. Section 4. Discussion. Metaphors describing the experience of healthcare professionals during the pandemic have focused on the imagery of war, framed as frontline staff battling against the invisible enemy. In foregrounding the fight, such imagery masks the complexity and paradox of lived experience. The hero narrative leaves little space for personal struggle, in which our very intimate fears and anxieties accompany us from our homes to our workplace and back again in a self-perpetuating cycle. In this study, we sought to more fully characterise and understand this experience. To the, to the best of our knowledge, these findings contribute the first such account to use IPA as the approach. Section 4.1, Technology and Wellness. The paradox of connectivity and isolation is well described in the literature pertaining to remote working. Technology offers trainees flexible connections, but risks them feeling isolated from colleagues, mentors and supervisors. Respondents identified benefits, access, flexibility and safety, but these were coincident with a limited sense of authentic connection and care. Social cognitive theory emphasises the role of the broader social content on behaviour. This environment, built mainly through informal face-to-face -face contact, has also been shown to be the dominant provider of functions of support, identity formation and caring that go on to impact wellness. We saw evidence of this in the participants' emotionally rich descriptions of the in-person elements of their work. Recognising the value of these connections may give us cause to revisit organisational shifts towards the remote delivery of opportunities for the connection. Interactions such as educational supervision and multidisciplinary meetings represent occasions for reinforcement of professional behaviours and role modelling. Social connection is a necessary condition for their influence on behaviour and may be impeded by the addition of technological interface. Empirical studies also draw attention to the potential of remote working with its ease of connectivity to participate in erosion of the boundaries between work and home life. Remote access can generate a temptation to be constantly plugged in due to the reconceptualization of both the temporal and spatial elements of work. In contrast, the pivot to online learning has juxtaposed proximity of content with perceived distance from teachers and learners. If learning is a function of activity, context and culture in which it occurs, it will be most effective when interaction is strong. The implication is a need to acknowledge the interim nature of current practices 
where content learner interaction dominates meaningful learner-learner or learner-teacher interaction. As we emerge from the current wave of the pandemic, there is a need to address this limitation. A hybrid approach with the option to attend face-to-face -face would allow trainees to self-select social contact or ease of connection as needed. Alternatively, student response systems incorporating polls or breakout rooms may provide a more collaborative and social remote learning experience. Section 4.2 Vulnerability and Wellness Trainee wellness is a well-explored area and has been shown to be lower than population norms. Rates of anxiety, burnout and depression were sufficiently alarming even before the pandemic to draw focus and resources to address them. The resultant interventions have been broad in their scope. At organisation level, there has been a curriculum redesign, hospital wellness programmes and the designation of name leads. Individuals and collective initiatives have included peer support, group reflections and exercise programmes. Evaluation of efficacy has largely followed a medical model in which tools, e.g. the perceived stress scale, approximate wellness by focusing on discrete components, most frequently burnout, depression and anxiety. Participants in our study described a coexistence of physical illness, uncertainty, alienation, boredom, apathy, perceptions of risk and concerns for themselves and their family members. These experiences and subjective emotions occur in the context of broader social and organisational factors that variably influence individual trainees, e.g. the anxiety of a woman trainee walking. As our understanding of wellness continues to evolve, we have yet to capture the totality of the construct. The positivist epistemological foundation generates studies that seek to apprehend external truths. As a result, complex and multidimensional experiences are processed through a diagnostic lens into measurable units. Qualitative studies such as ours explain meaning making differently, potentially drawing attention to that which would otherwise be overlooked. Our findings suggest a broad spectrum of responses to disruption exists and that these are highly individualised and context-bound. Disruption caused by unexpected events has shown to be more impactful than that which affords learners time to prepare, potentially representing an analogue for the first time subsequent waves of the pandemic. The pandemic represented a major challenge, but by the second wave, trainees self-identified as resilient and demonstrated self-compassion that radiated out to others. We theorised that normalisation of vulnerability within the pandemic context contributed to this response. Becoming unwell became acceptable and delays to progression through training were validated by a COVID outcome during annual reviews. The potential impact of normalisation is addressed by social comparison theory. With its foundations in social cognitive theory, this theory asserts that individuals have an innate drive to evaluate themselves in comparison with others. Behavioural comparisons provide objective benchmarks against which we judge our own behaviour. By removing the stigma around loss of motivation, fear and physical illness, we potentially shift these benchmarks to create the space to be more vulnerable and open. Within this space, there may be opportunities for growth and the development of resilience. This has been characterised in our study as the vulnerability strength paradox. Conceptualising wellness in this way is not to suggest that situations posing a threat should be recklessly enabled as opportunities for growth. 
nor do we intend to minimise the role of systemic or organisational factors by constructing a narrative that the status quo should be accepted and endured for individual adaptation. But rather, we seek to acknowledge that if vulnerability becomes something to be eliminated, then experiences of it may be viewed as undesirable, weak and wrong. This approach is comfortable and familiar, mirroring our view of health as the eradication of disease. Trainees in our study may not have scored highly for burnout, anxiety or depression, but demonstrated less apprehensible elements of impairment. In limiting our focus to which is measurable, we may lose much more than what we gain. Section 5. Limitations. Peer interviewing leaves open the possibility that participants were not fully in their accounts and that there were dimensions of the experience that remained below the surface, yielding an incomplete understanding. It is our intention that the conclusions we have drawn in the context of this study would allow the reader to evaluate transferability to their own. Section 6. The pandemic has disrupted how we live, work and learn, challenging us to engage in new ways with technology and the organisation of care while bringing our sense of well-being into focus. This study provides a rich representation of the struggles of the pandemic from the trainee perspective. In drawing out paradoxes of disruption and stasis, connectedness and isolation, and vulnerability and strength, we have illuminated some of the complexity of this experience. Evaluation of change requires us to think more broadly about our migration from the improvised to the considered. This means asking questions about what is lost and gained and from whose perspective. Our findings bring into question the notion that states of impairment necessarily can and should be treated. We suggest that shifting our thinking towards incorporation rather than elimination may help us to magnify the opportunities for growth that reside within them. Acknowledgements. We acknowledge Dr. Christopher Oakley for a review of themes and Dr. Anna James and Ms. Sharon Markles for their valuable assistance with revising the manuscript. We also wish to acknowledge the contribution of participants who gave their time and experience so generously. Conflicts of interest. There are no conflicts of interest. Author contributions. SQ conceived a study. MA was responsible for recruitment and conducted all interviews with participants. SQ and MA contributed to analysis and interpretation of the data. SQ wrote and edited the manuscript. MA contributed to editing and reviewing the manuscript. Ethics statement. In keeping with standard ethical principles, participants were provided with information. We agreed that due to the small size of the speciality and the established relationship between participants and interviewers, any people experiencing significant distress would be referred for support. However, this was not required. Ethical approval was granted by the NHS Health Research Authority Research Ethics Committee, IRS Project ID number 298865.